Morning, everyone. Good to have all of you with us this morning. Uh, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes in this series about wisdom, and we start every message out with the same sentence so that we would remember something about this series years and years and years from now. And that sentence is, wisdom is correctly applied biblical knowledge. Wisdom is correctly applied biblical knowledge. And even though we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to look at Psalm 94 this morning because it is in a perfect place, especially after we ended last week in chapter 8. And you might ask, well, why are we looking at Psalm 94 at this moment? It's going to become very clear and apparent as we get into it. But sometimes the answer of, hey, you know what? God's got it all taken care of. Don't worry about it, doesn't answer every question we have. We may still have questions about, why is this happening? We may have questions about, well, when is it going to end? And we may have questions, when is the evil finally going to be set right and God's kingdom really shine? Why do we have leaders that abuse authority and abuse their power? Why are Christians persecuted? From the very beginning of time, God's people have been persecuted. Why is that the case? Why do we never get the upper hand? Why do we never get the victory? Why are we always scratching for just meager existence in our culture and society? No respect, a destruction of the truth, a replacement of the truth for lies. When does all of that end? And just simply saying, well, God's got it, doesn't answer those questions. And so Psalm 94 is really going to start to answer some of those questions for us. It's going to ask, answer some of those big questions about when is God really going to avenge his people for all the wrong in this world? When are all the wrongs going to be made right? And even answering a simple question of are we going to be okay while we go through this? Because it looks like every time you turn on the news, there's more and more restrictions placed upon Christian thought and Christian speech. Are we going to be okay in the end? Well, Psalm 94 is going to start to answer that for us. And it's built right out of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Because in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we saw what happens when an evil king rules and reigns. We saw exactly what happens when we don't have a foothold in this world anymore. And Ecclesiastes chapter 8 was pretty clear. Even though you see evil flourish and righteousness suffer, the answer is, as hard as it is to accept, God's got it. He is so much bigger than the challenges we face. And if he's able to handle and figure out a grain of sand where we cannot comprehend it, if God's got that, I think he can handle everything that we're facing with, that we're faced with in our culture and our society. So we're going to look at Psalm 94. We're going to look at the first three verses to begin with. And let me read those because it starts with a bang. O Jehovah, God of vengeance. O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. 
Repay the proud for what they deserve. O Jehovah, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? Whoever writes this psalm could be David. We're not given an author of it. Could be. Could be Solomon. Starts out a prayer, very unique in Scripture, really specific to the psalms. Instead of saying, O God, O God of love, and tenderness, and kindness, and mercy. It starts out with, O God, Jehovah, Lord of vengeance. When was the last time you started a prayer? O God of vengeance. It's not common to us. We kind of like those other attributes, the love, the patience, mercy, kindness, long-suffering. We love those things, the God of forgiveness. But reality is setting in. Evil is flourishing. Evil is prospering. Evil is getting the vocal call into our culture. And not just our culture. This was happening during the days of Israel. Evil was flourishing. And so the psalmist cries out to the only one who can answer the injustices that we face. And it's God. The covenantal God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah, Yahweh, He is the God of vengeance. Now, very quickly, we need to make sure that we have a difference of understanding between revenge and vengeance. Revenge is a very human, emotional, passion-driven, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to repay them for what they've done. Vengeance, on the other hand, is a little bit more subtle. It has to deal with we need to see justice take place. Revenge is you wanting to get even. Vengeance is letting God judge rightly. And when God judges rightly, it's perfect judgment. It's absolutely perfect judgment. He does not err with biases. He does not have an error when it comes to, well, they're wealthier, so they should probably be set free. He doesn't go, well, they've been oppressed, so they need to be freed. He looks at the truth of the matter of the human heart and judges perfectly with his word between right and wrong. And there are times I think we all can admit that crying out to God, saying, God, judge those who are hurting me. It hurts so bad. It is so painful what they've done to me. It is so painful what they say about me. It is so painful how they treat me. It is so painful to see the name of Jesus Christ slandered and abused and mocked. God, when are you going to take care of this? You and you alone are the God of vengeance. Hear us. Act. Do it. Save us. Restore your name. Restore your glory. Restore your honor. Restore your truth to its rightful place. And only you, God, can do it rightly. Can't leave it to us. Because we will mess it up. We will let passion and revenge take the first step. And God has said, I am the God who brings about vengeance. The author acknowledges 
Jehovah, you are the God of vengeance. God, you are the God of vengeance. Shine forth. Make it known to the world that they are not going to get away with it. Make it known from the highest of heavens to the lowest of the earth, the valleys, that your name will not be abused. That your name will be exalted. That everyone will bow the knee. Whether they do it willingly or they are forced. Show us, Father. Stop hiding the fact that you are a God of justice and the God of vengeance because we are experiencing, not only in the days of Israel, but today, we are experiencing a decay, a destruction, and a mockery of God's truth. Rise up, O judge of earth. Repay the proud what they deserve. How long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? I think if there was ever an honest expression of human emotion and heart regarding the condition of culture and society in our world, this is it right here. Have any of you felt that before? Have any of you felt it more now than you did maybe 30 years ago? doesn't seem to be getting better. Evil is praised and acknowledged and put into law. And righteousness, truth, goodness, a true expression of love is attacked. And all you have to do is take one small little example of the rainbow. What does the rainbow represent? And now here you might get two different answers. But I'm talking about what does the rainbow represent according to God? It's actually a sign and a promise from God that he will not judge the earth again by a flood wiping out humanity. It's a reminder to us that God is a God of his word and he does bring about justice and righteousness. And he does bring about punishment for the proud and the wicked. It's a sign both of blessing that God is keeping his promise and also a sign of judgment that God keeps his promise. It is not ultimately a sign of acceptance and love and homosexuality. But yet, if you asked in a general survey of 100 people on the street, what does a rainbow represent? They're immediately going to answer, secondly, love and acceptance and homosexuality and a lifestyle that embraces whatever you want to be. Add any letter to the end of your name and a plus. That's what the rainbow means. But it doesn't. How long, O oh God, will you allow the sign of your covenantal promise that you will never destroy the world again? How long will you wait to make it right. And I think we've all had moments where we want to cry out to God, fix it. Fix it. And our author experienced that. Solomon sees it. He knows it. He has incredible knowledge regarding it. But here is a prayer from the heart. When are you going to come Repay the proud what they deserve. Then he moves in 
from verse 4 to verse 7. <laughs> what does the wicked get away with right now? What are they really getting away with? Starting in verse 4, they pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. Oh my goodness. You could stop right here. And I, I'm not somebody who looks at the newspaper and interprets scripture because that is wrong. But I look at scripture and I see the events around us and I go, I cannot believe how perfectly relevant God's word is some almost 25 to 3,000 years, maybe in 3,500 years after it was written, how relevant it is because they probably had no idea that we would have people in leadership in our governments in the world promoting evil through decree. They pour out their arrogant words and all the evildoers boast. They have their days, they have their celebrations. My goodness, now they have months where they dedicate to their own evil, prideful arrogance. What else do the evildoers accomplish here and now? They crush or break your people. And that word crush and break has this sense of you are taking something in your mouth and chewing it to dust. They crush your people, Jehovah, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. And they say, Jehovah does not see it. The God of Jacob doesn't perceive it. So this whole time, whether they are consciously or unconsciously, promoting their evil and their wickedness and their sin and their depravity and their hate and bloodshed. The whole time, they think they're getting away with it because they're saying to themselves, there's no God. He's not stopping us. You Christians keep telling us that he's a God of vengeance, a God of honor and truth and righteousness, but yet I don't see a sign of it anywhere. And then they begin to weave a lied story that when a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake strikes, instead of reminding us that God is a God of all creation, he brings days of joy and days of calamity. Instead of acknowledging maybe we have to repent and get ourselves right, they say it's all your fault because of climate change. Wow. What a weaved new story of lies to remove God from our lives. there might be some of us that also say, where is he? Why isn't he acting? Is he quiet? Has he left us alone? But the fact that God does not stand and speak and put his foot down and hammer his voice through the clouds, people are brazen. Look at any time that there have been riots 
in our society. And I'm not just talking the last two years, but I'm talking in riots in general. The police remove themselves from that area and they go crazy, crazy with violence. Same thing is true with kids. When the kids in your home feel like mom and dad are not listening or watching, a lot of things can happen. But the moment they realize mom and dad are listening, just that in and of itself can hinder and stop some of that behavior. Proof to that is any time that there was a teacher in my room in school, I was this model student that would always sit in the front. Well, I didn't sit in the front because I wanted to. I sat in the front because I was assigned to that because I needed to be close to the teacher. I don't know how that encouraged the teacher, but when that teacher was out of the room, there's chaos. It would start with little whispers, and then it would turn into total pandemonium. Cats and dogs living together in perfect harmony, just at each other's throat. And that is how much of the world lives right now, especially those that have a loud voice right now. They live as if there was no day of judgment coming. And so they boast. They boast loudly and arrogantly. They afflict and crush God's people, his truth, his word. They kill the widow and the sojourner, and they murder the fatherless. Blood is their calling card, and blood is their happiness. Destruction is their friend. And the whole time they're making fun of us, believing in a God, and saying, where is your God? Where is he? That's happened to all of God's people through all of time. Today is not unique, and today is not worse than the days in which Israel was alone as God's people. It has always been part of God's people's badge, trials, frustrations, suffering, and moments of spiritual growth when God's people have been crushed. But the psalm quickly turns at verse 8 and, uh, again, becomes very real in its language. And wicked people are considered a fill-in-the-blank at this point. And there's several words up on the screen. Wicked people are dull people. Wicked people are senseless people. Wicked people are arrogant people or ignorant people. Wicked people are simple, dumb, brutish, stupid, fools, barbarous, or gazed over. Without reading anything in, from verse 8 forward, what would be your best bet that that word would stick in that blank? Best word to describe wicked people. Well, you don't really have to wonder because each one of those words is a word same Greek, same Hebrew word, just translated by different translations, but every one of those are in English translations. Here's the verse. Understand, O dullest of people, 
fools, when will you be wise? Now, he's answering the question to God can't hear us. God doesn't care. God's not around. God's silent. Uh, you know, the Lord doesn't see. The God of Jacob doesn't perceive. Here's God's answer to that. Understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you become wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations or guides and instructs the nations, does he not correct? You think God doesn't see it? Do you think God doesn't hear what's going on? Do you think he's oblivious? Do you think it's hidden? Do you think he's forgotten to look in on us? And the answer is an obvious, no. No, he, 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 he's created us. He knows what's going on with us. He knows what's going on in our culture, our society, our entertainment values. He sees it. He knows it. He's not being fooled. And he's also not apathetic. He does indeed care about what's going on. He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man. And they are but breath. They are but vapor. They are but a piece of dust according to God's conceived knowledge. They're not all high and mighty and powerful in front of God. They're but a vapor. A puff of steam and then gone. And all of a sudden it starts to put in perspective exactly what Solomon was talking about in chapter 8. God's got it. Okay? He really, truly does. He truly understands what's going on. He is powerful in his knowledge. He is amazing in his truth. And he is excellent in his execution of his justice and vengeance. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to let them get under our skin. We don't have to complain about it. We don't have to lose sleep over it. We don't have to take up arms against it. God, who is far better at all of that, knows the hearts and thoughts of every individual. Every individual. Not just our thoughts and our mind and our actions, but he's aware of everyone's thoughts and minds and actions. And he knows it perfectly. Remember last week, we started out with that great big mathematical question and understanding of how possible can God know all 11 million brain functions that happen every second Multiply it across all humanity of 8 billion people. How big is our God? And there's no human word to explain how big and able he is. And just because you do not hear his thunderous voice from the clouds declaring what is right and wrong doesn't mean he is silent. And it doesn't mean he doesn't know. And it certainly doesn't mean he doesn't care. 
he cares so tremendous, so tremendously for you in this situation that he has given you his word to guide you, to make you wise. He has given you his spirit to indwell you so that you are never alone. And he has given you his son, his blood, his life to separate you from the arrogant, the proud, the dull, the ignorant, the brutish, the murderers through forgiveness. Well, he cares. He cares about you immensely. And he knows you intimately. And I think that leads the psalmist to a beautiful conclusion in the next set of verses. He says, blessed is the man. Anytime you see blessed in scripture, you can replace the word happy because that's the emotional connection to that word. Happy is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from the days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. Notice what brings us comfort and joy and happiness according to God in these two verses. Notice, first of all, happy and blessed is the man whom what? The Lord disciplines. Oh, I don't know about you, but I cannot remember one single time in my life growing up as a child, and I had lots of opportunities to be good at this. Never once did I think discipline was a happy, good thing. Never once. It was a rebellious heart that needed to be corrected, and I was stubborn in that correction, so stubborn that I broke multiple wooden spoons on my behind. That's how stubborn I was. So how in the world is discipline good and happy? It's, discipline is good and happy because it does teach us right and wrong, and it does teach us what is pleasing and good for us and what is displeasing and harmful to us. Not one parent here would ever say to a child that had a hot burner on the stove, go ahead and touch it. We all discipline them and say, don't touch it. Don't touch it. And if a parent did otherwise, we would think that parent is wicked and evil and harmful to a child. So we teach the child through discipline, don't touch it. I want to touch it. No, don't. 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 We correct them. When they go through traffic and they're crossing at an intersection, we tell them to look both ways. And we tell look both ways and hold my hand. Be right next to me. That's discipline. That's correction. That's teaching. That's instruction. And we do that to save their life. To save them from being burned. To save them. And God is the same. He teaches us through all of this, correcting us by challenging us. Don't start throwing stones and judging others first. Look at your own heart. Get the log out of your own eye before you start attacking the speck in others. But we say, God, there's a lot of specks out there. I know there are. But deal with the log first in your own eye, in your own understanding, in your own character. Be right with me first before you try to make other people's right. Be right with me. So I can see how discipline, correction, instruction 
does indeed bring happiness and joy. Every time I don't touch a lit burner, I'm reminded, oh, thanks, God, you saved me from hurting myself and being in pain for the next few days. Thank you, God, that I paid attention to instruction and direction, and I looked both ways multiple times before I crossed the street. I still haven't learned using crosswalks, but that's a Chicago thing. We don't use crosswalks in Chicago. If you're at the road, you just go. I know, but my, that's how my mom taught me. You just go. You look and go. They'll stop. And if not, eh, oh well, just run fast. But instruction, discipline, correction is a healthy, good thing for us to accept and expect from God. If we're not getting any instruction, correction, or discipline from God, I'm telling you, you're in a tough spot. You're actually in a scary spot. You're in a spot where I would go, let's go back to the fundamentals. Do you have a relationship with God? Because if you have a relationship, a saving relationship with God, you will be disciplined. You will deal with trials. You will be dealing with fear and anxiety and how to overcome it and how to rest in his truth and rest in the promise that he's got it. They continue in those same verses, uh, uh, verse 14, for Jehovah will not forsake his people or cast off his people. He will not let go of his people. Who are his people? Who are his people? By raise of hand, are you one of his people? Yeah, it's, it's believers. It's not just Israelites or Jews back in the day, but it's all of God's people. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You are his people. You are his family. You are adopted into his home as brothers and sisters in Christ. He is your father, heavenly father, and he is perfect in his love and perfect in his discipline and perfect in his promises. And unlike our otherworldly relationships, which disappear at times and disappoint us a lot, God will never disappear from your life. He will never disappear from your life. He is constantly involved in your life. Nor will he abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. God not only promises that he will not forsake us or let go of us or forget us, but he has promised that in the end, justice will come. Justice will be part of our future. And that should not scare us that God's justice and vengeance is coming. It should be a moment of rejoicing over his judgment, justice, and vengeance. That he's going to make it right, even in your own heart. He's going to rid it of all sin. He's going to make it right. And at the center of that rightness is Jesus Christ, who without him we could not stand before God and enjoy the experience. Everyone, and I've said it multiple times, how many roads lead to God? Every road leads to God. 
Every religion leads to God. Every philosophy leads to God. Every worldview leads to God. Everyone, how they live, leads to God. But only one road leads to a pleasureful experience with God, and that's through Christ. Every other road leads to God, but it leads to his justice and vengeance. But we have the comfort that he's never going to forsake us. Author continues in Psalm 94, verse 16 through uh, verse 19. Who will rise? Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips. Your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. If God was not here for us, you would not find comfort in a political party. Political parties cannot bring you comfort. Elections cannot bring you comfort. Nothing will bring you comfort in this life except for God and your relationship with him. So we do not look for a new swell of change in our entertainment industry. We do not look for new rules for Facebook and Twitter. We do not look for a coming golden age of Instagram and TikTok. No. No. If you're putting your hope and confidence in politics to change culture one day, I am here to tell you right now, you are going to be disappointed because that doesn't save us from God's vengeance. The only thing that saves us from God's vengeance and puts peace and consolation and comfort in our hearts is a relationship with Jesus Christ first and foremost and forever. So don't fret or worry or concern yourself with the political agendas of the right or the left. They will all disappoint you. But God will never forsake you or disappoint you. God will always hold on to you. He will not let you go. And that promise is also for the wicked. He will not let them off or forget or be lenient in any aspect at any time. Then he concludes at the end of the psalm, maybe a refrain that the world might have against God and against Christianity and against Christ. Can the wicked rulers in verse 20 be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute, making laws of things that are unjust? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. They're making rules left and right about what they feel is right. And it's contrary to God's word every step of the way to the point where they willingly condemn innocent to death. We spoke about abortion just a few weeks ago. What a horrific and descriptive way 
that they are fulfilling God's word, the killing of the innocent and the fatherless. It's right there. It's right there. Right in that verse 21, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. How do we respond to that? Verse 22. But the Lord has become my stronghold, and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. We can be assured of two answers to those big unanswered questions. We can answer those questions by first of all acknowledging God is the source of my joy and my comfort and my hope and my peace in this world. Political parties are not the answer to peace in your heart. And secondly, when is God going to finally come through and fulfill the promise that he's going to make it right, that he's going to wipe out the wicked? when he's going to show the righteous were right all along and stop the crushing of his heritage, his name, and his people. When is that going to take place? It's not a cop-out answer I'm going to give you. It's a real, true, right answer. Only one person knows when that's ultimately going to take place, and that's God himself. He's given us hints and clues along the way when we see the earth paining and yearning, finally giving up all of its strength and resources as we need justice. God says he will come, not as a babe in a manger filled with a message of joy, peace, and love, but with a sword of justice and vengeance. And he will wipe off evil from the, face of his, from the face of his creation, starting with us through the forgiveness of the Son. But without that forgiveness in blood, it will be a sword of eternal damnation. Don't mock God. That day of justice and vengeance will come. And until that day comes, know that no matter what the world throws at you, you are hidden in the rock of his might. Let's pray as the band comes up. Father, sometimes you, uh, you surprise us. You shouldn't surprise us like that, but your word is crystal clear that you indeed handle all of life's miseries, trials, and wickedness. You've got it taken care of. And thank you for your promise, Father, that we are comforted and surrounded 
by pillars of your might. We are safe as we follow your path to righteousness. Thank you, Father, for the day of vengeance and the day of justice that will come. And thank you for the forgiveness of your Son that cleanses us from all sin. We praise you, Father, for your work that you've done in our hearts and pray that we would be faithful in proclaiming your truth and love to a world that is filled with hate and anger and violence, arrogance, and the shedding of innocent blood. May our testimony and our life and our words shine forth hope in your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.